Donald Trump wants to style himself as a wartime president against this invisible enemy. Instead of leading the charge to defeat the virus, he just basically waved a white flag and he's retreated. You tell him, Joe. He's quite the cut and runner, isn't he? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Trump, I mean. I got the feeling that something right. Not Joe. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, it's the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, Eureka's KGOE, in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Heard in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. Along with other fine terrestrial affiliates across this great nation of ours, we also stream coast to coast and around the globe all over the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, Troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me, your mileage may vary. From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I want to pick up where we left off uh, a a bit with uh, infectious disease epidemiologist Purnima Madivanan on our show yesterday. If you didn't hear that program, you should. You can download it for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who support our work at bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, Desi Doyen, things are getting considerably worse in a number of states across the country when it comes to the COVID virus. I know, and it's uh, it's very sad and very disturbing. And I think uh, Dr. Madivanan's explanation of what's happening was really, really spot on. And uh, hey, it's always good to know what the actual facts are. You know, I saw a uh, headline here. Where was it? From NBC. I haven't been able to read the story today, but it was something along the lines of Debate about masks. What's the truth? It's unclear if masks... I mean, it's ridiculous, you know. It's ridiculous clickbait headlines that should actually say what the actual facts are in the headline so that people know. And it's a ridiculous debate if you bother to, you know, listen to the people who know these things. If you bother to pay attention to facts and science. Which uh, Dr. Madivanen also said, it's time to start uh, believing in science again. Anyway, all of which uh, this uh, worsening COVID situation is going to make it very difficult for Donald Trump to make the case that he's made America great. 
this November with more than 200,000 Americans perhaps killed by the coronavirus by then, by October 1. Thanks in no small part to his horrific administration's unprecedented failure and denial, which continues even now in dealing with the COVID-19 crisis that shows no sign of getting better. Mike Pence, the vice president, uh, wrote in The Wall Street Journal on Tuesday in an op-ed that uh, (laughs) the numbers are cause for celebration. Oh, my God. I mean, well, the good news is America ain't buying it, uh, and that is now being reflected in state polling across the country, particularly in some key battleground states that we will get to shortly, and uh, to our guest who says essentially that those polls suggest Trump is now toast this November. I, however, am not quite so sure about that, (laughs) but we will let him make his uh, case uh, nonetheless as he writes today that, quote, this time is different for Donald Trump. We will see. But picking up on these uh, grim and getting quickly grimmer numbers in several states across the country today, several of them, uh, as I noted, uh, battleground states, new coronavirus infections hit record highs in six U.S. states on Tuesday, according to Reuters, marking a rising tide of cases for a second consecutive week as most states move forward with reopening their economies. Arizona, Florida, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Texas all reported record increases in new cases on Tuesday after recording all-time highs last week. Nevada also reported its highest single-day tally of new cases on Tuesday. Hospitalizations are also rising or at record highs. At Arizona's Tucson Medical Center on Monday, just a single intensive care unit ICU bed designated for COVID-19 patients was available. One single bed as of Tuesday in the ICU unit, according to a hospital rep. Dr. David Oshowitz, an infectious disease expert at the hospital, said in a tweet on Monday night, quote, ICU to be expanded, hopefully in coming days. Not sure where people needing ICU care will be able to go since most Arizona hospitals are pretty full now. That's what we were talking about with Dr. Madhavani, who is actually in uh, at the University of Arizona and extremely troubled by these numbers. In Arizona, interest in the new one-day high was so great that the state's health department's website reported problems that it attributed to increased traffic, according to the New York Times. So apparently it was even unprepared for that in Arizona. The state said that its daily increase of positive cases was 2,392, bringing its total near to 40,000. And they said that another 25 people had died on Tuesday, bringing the state's death toll to over 1,200. Officials in many states attribute the spike to businesses reopening and Memorial Day weekend gatherings in late May, says Reuters. Many states are also bracing for possible increase increases in cases stemming from tens of thousands of people protesting to end racial injustice and police brutality in uh, over the past three weeks. In Oregon, health officials are trying to contain an outbreak of over 200 new cases in Union County linked to the Lighthouse United Pentecostal Church. Mm. 
The Oregonian reports that a video on the church's Facebook page on May 24 showed hundreds of people standing close together and singing. Well, large gatherings were not permitted in Oregon under the state's reopening plan at the time. That video has since been deleted. But yes, those large gatherings are causing uh, outbreaks. So a lot of folks are watching what's going to happen this Saturday when Donald Trump has a huge gathering that he promises in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because he's just ain't getting enough love if he ain't going out and doing these uh, these rallies around the country. Yes, he wants your love, but he does not want your liability lawsuit if you get sick. And he also doesn't want your life, apparently. He doesn't give a damn if you die. The most important thing is coming out and celebrating Donald Trump. In Texas, Governor Greg Abbott said the record number of new cases is due to more testing. But hospitalizations, which is a metric not linked to increased testing, that also hit a record high on Tuesday in Texas again. For the week that ended June 14, testing did increase over 30 percent, but the positive rate held steady at 7 percent. So the tests we're seeing, we are seeing more of them, but it is not because there is more testing. That's according to a Reuters analysis. Texas is in the bottom half of the nation, however, when it comes to testing rates. Texas tested 674 out of every 100,000 residents last week, while about half of the 50 states tested at least 1,000 of every 100,000 residents. So while uh, Abbott can uh, brag about increased testing, they're still in the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the number of tests in the U.S. And none of that explains hospitalization rates that are, are hitting records each day. Epidemiologists have said that even taking into account the increased uh, the increase in testing, the rise in confirmed cases in several Sunbelt states suggested increased transmission. They pointed to other measures, including the percentage of positive tests and hospitalizations, where Texas has been breaking records pretty much every day over the last week and a half. Governor Abbott said that Tuesday's new high reflected several anomalies and that some counties may have reported a backlog of cases that were not reported in recent days. That's what it was. Anything to explain away those numbers. They were just, they just hadn't gotten around to reporting it. They had the numbers and then they... They were just lazy. That must be it. But he also uh, put some of the blame of Texas's increase in cases on people under 30. That's right. Blame the kids. Suggesting that they were being too casual about wearing masks and social distancing. Well, I wonder where they got that idea. Abbott has refused to mandate masking and has forbidden... Texas city or county officials from instituting any stronger measures than the state has dictated. So blame yourself, Governor Abbott. Tension between the state and local governments escalated again as nine Texas mayors, both Republican and Democratic, urban and suburban, including those for the state's largest uh, cities, They issued a public letter essentially begging Abbott to give them the authority to mandate the use of face masks for their communities since he refuses to do so. Many people in many of our cities are still refusing to wear these face coverings. The mayors of Houston, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, El Paso, Arlington, Plano and Grand Prairie all wrote in their letter to Abbott. 
even though these coverings are scientifically proven to help prevent the disease from spreading, they said. We should trust local officials to make informed choices about health policy, they write. Imagine that. Local officials, people on the ground who know their constituents the best, as Republicans always like to pretend they believe in. You know, small government. We think you would we, we think you would agree that a health a healthy economy starts with healthy people. They pleaded if you do not have plans to mandate face covering statewide, we ask that you restore the ability for local authorities to enforce the wearing of face coverings in public venues where physical distancing cannot be practiced. So far, the government, the uh, governor has yet to uh, change his uh, previous position, barring local governments from taking action to protect their own constituents and stopping the spread. Bear County, which includes part of San Antonio, reported 436 new cases on Tuesday. That's their highest single day increase since the pandemic arrived in the U.S., we're in the worst crisis we've had since this started, Bear County Judge Nelson Wolf said in a briefing on Tuesday. We're going to be in a lot of trouble if we don't do something to cure this. Houston's mayor, Sylvester Turner, who also signed uh, the letter, Houston is in Harris County, where the director of Harris County's Office of Homeland Security and Emergency Management, Linda Hidalgo, expressed alarm about increasing rates of infection last week. She said, I want the opening to be successful. I want the economy to be resilient, but I'm growing increasingly concerned that we may be approaching the precipice of disaster. That disaster has continued with new record hospitalizations day after day in the Lone Star State pretty much every single day since her news conference last week warning about that. Meanwhile, down in Florida, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis like the others, attributed the uptick to more widespread testing. Despite the fact that epidemiologists have said that the numbers recorded in the state in recent days suggest increased transmission in Florida. In fact, in Florida, more than 4.5% of those who tested between May 31 and June 6 had the virus. That compared with just 2.3% of people who sought tests in mid-May. So the percentage of positive tests is going up, not just the numbers, Governor DeSantis. He dismissed the idea that the recent infections stemmed from the reopening of businesses, including bars and restaurants, and said that the state would not shutter activity again. Even though several Florida cities have, uh, have now uh, reclosed some bars and restaurants due to the spikes. DeSantis says we're not shutting down. You have to have society to function. Well, yes, y'all, you have to have society. You have to have society that is th that does not die. It's hard to function when everyone in your society is getting increasingly sick and dying. But again, I'm no epidemiologist. Well, I'm pretty sure that dead people don't buy stuff. Across the U.S., 17 states saw new cases rise last week. 17 states. According to Reuters, in Oklahoma, where Donald Trump plans to hold his indoor campaign rally on Saturday, new cases rose 68 percent to become the fastest growing state in the nation. Way to go, Oklahoma. 
Vice President Pence on Tuesday said officials were considering other, possibly outdoor, venues for the Tulsa event. Well, that might be literally the least you could do. The virus spreads far more efficiently in enclosed spaces, so at least doing it outside might help somewhat. On Tuesday, Oklahoma health officials uh, urged anyone attending the rally on Saturday to get tested for the coronavirus before arriving and then to self-isolate following the, the event and then to get tested again. Yes, I'm sure Donald Trump supporters will do all three of those things, right? Uh, the health commissioner urged those over 65 to stay at home. Don't go to the rally. Well, if they don't, there'll be nobody there. Pence pushed back against talk of a second wave of infections, says Reuters, citing increased testing. Well, he's half right. This is not a second wave. It's still the first one. But, uh, well, actually, he's not right at all. It's not because of increased testing. So he got it wrong on both counts. <laughs> He wrote in his Wall Street Journal opinion piece, in recent days, the media has taken to sounding the alarm bells over a second wave of coronavirus infections. Such panic is overblown. We are winning the fight against the invisible enemy. It's a cause for celebration. More than 2.1 million people so far have won so far by becoming infected with the coronavirus in the United States and over 116,000 have died from COVID-19, by far the most in the world. And yet the vice president says we are winning the fight, all of which gives new meaning to Trump's May 2016 comments at that rally in Billings, Montana, when he said, we're going to win so much, you're going to be sick of winning. Yeah. He's right. Please, we can't win anymore. For now, however, sadly, we're still winning. Donald Trump, on the other hand, may be losing. Quick break, and we're back with some of the pretty remarkable state polls that show Donald Trump could be in some very big trouble this November. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more, oh, no yeah. more. From your mouth to God's ears. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, you know, as you know, I've long warned on this program, please ignore the polls, at least the national polls that you hear about, because we do not run national elections in this country. We have state by state elections. But uh, state polling is a different matter. Well, it just a quick snapshot in time of the electorate, presuming the pollsters don't suck. It's just a quick snapshot at the time the poll was taken, but it can still offer both an idea of where things stand right now and can serve as context should election results prove to be wildly different than the polling 
for reasons which may serve as a red or yellow flag that something has gone terribly wrong with the voting systems. So to that end, it's good to get a sense of what the eventual results should look like or at least something like it after Election Day, and particularly in states that you might not uh, expect, you know, by Joe Biden to defeat Donald Trump. Also, given everything that all of us have been going through of late, I think some encouragement here may be in order. And there is a lot of encouragement to be had from a bevy of new state polls out in recent days from several key battleground states, including, as I said, a few rather surprised ones. Now, don't get complacent when you hear these. God forbid. (laughs) But, uh, you know, there's some pretty incredible news here. So a modest traveler over at Daily Coast did a a pretty good roundup of a bunch of these recent state polls, a bunch of different ones in a bunch of different states. So I'm going to crib from um, his uh, summaries here of several of these polls. New surveys out of the battleground states of Florida, Michigan, Arizona and Iowa show that the uh, state of the race is pointing to an electoral college blowout, according to Modest Traveler. Not according to me. This is him. In two states that Trump won handily, Arizona and Iowa, he is now either tied or behind by a decent number. In Iowa, in fact, he is tied with Biden. And in Arizona, he is now polling fairly well ahead. I'm sorry, Biden is polling fairly well ahead of Trump, to be clear. We'll get to the specific numbers on on those in a moment. But in Michigan, the numbers point to a blowout. And the same is true for Florida. Yes, in Florida, which if Biden wins, I'd say it's largely over for Donald Trump, except for all the voter suppression and the theft and the dirty tricks and the chicanery that could, in fact, is arguably likely to come in just about every state this year. But the uh, Michigan and Florida polls were conducted by TIPP, which is a uh, very highly rated pollster, highly rated by 538.com. And in addition, there was another poll uh, by Epic Mira, one of the best pollsters for Michigan races. In both cases, it shows Biden with a large lead against Donald Trump in the state of Michigan. So Modest Traveler notes the uh, caveats that this is just a snapshot of today only. There are still 140 days to go before the election. And get out the vote is incredibly important to make these numbers become reality, he says. But that the numbers both nationally and on the state level look very encouraging for Democrats right now on the presidential level. Okay, so two polls from this outfit that is called American Greatness. Yes, they are as right-wing as they sound, and they hired the well-respected TIPP pollsters for these polls in Florida and Michigan. The new American Greatness TIPP battleground poll. Presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden is beating Donald Trump by double digits in the key swing states of Florida and Michigan. In Michigan, 51 percent of likely voters said they would vote for Joe Biden, while only 38 percent said they would vote for Trump. That is a 13 point blowout in the state of Michigan. Trump fared only slightly better in Florida, where 40 percent of likely voters said they would vote for Trump, as opposed to 51 percent who said they would vote for Biden. That means an 11 point blowout for Joe Biden in the state of Florida. 
Even more encouraging than the raw numbers, writes Modest Traveler, are the findings on favorability. Biden had higher favorability ratings than Trump in both of the polls in both Florida and in Michigan. Specifically for Trump in Florida, his favorability rating was 40 percent favorable, 56 percent unfavorable in Michigan. Uh, I'm sorry, in Florida. 56% unfavorable in Florida. How do you win with those kind of numbers in Florida? Well, I guess you could cheat. In Michigan, it was even worse. 58% of Michigan voters viewed Trump unfavorably. Only 37% viewed him favorably in Michigan. Those are some big unfavorable numbers to try and overcome. Biden's numbers were positive uh, in both states. But here's where the uh, potentially really bad news comes for Trump. All of that other stuff that was uh, pretty bad. It gets even worse here, particularly in Florida, where coincidentally the virus is spiking and targeting older voters. Fifty one percent of voters age 65 and over are choosing Joe Biden. Just 42 percent are going for Trump. These are voters who are 65 and over. Now, in 2016, Trump won those voters in Florida by 22 percent. Now he's trailing Biden among those same voters by nine percent. That is a 31 percent turnaround, a 31 percent swing in Florida among voters who are 65 of age and older. And that's a lot of voters in the state of Florida, a very important age group there. Indeed. And they tend to be people who are strong voters who turn out. Yes, they are. And as noted, if he loses Florida, well, more than likely, uh, so go his election chances. Biden also, by the way, obliterates Trump with young voters, 18 to 24 years of age. Get ready for this. 66% to 21% among young voters. (laughs) Okay. And that Michigan poll, apparently uh, that was not an outlier uh, from that one uh, uh, right-wing group who was working with TIPP, who was not right-wing. But uh, in any event, uh, it wasn't an outlier. Another Michigan poll shows similar numbers. According to the Detroit Free Press, the damage done to Donald Trump's standing in Michigan following recent protests outside the White House and in cities across the U.S. may have been even greater than originally believed, according to a new poll released to the Free Press uh, on Tuesday. Two weeks ago, the Epic Mira polling company of Lansing released a survey showing former Vice President Joe Biden was beating Donald Trump by 12 points in a state where Donald Trump is said to have barely won by just about 10,000 votes in 2016. Now he's up by 12 points. This is according to the poll from two weeks ago. But a second poll that was started a day later and finished a day later than that first poll showed Biden leading Trump by 16 points in Michigan. That second poll also showed the percentage of those with a negative view of Trump as president rose from 56 percent to 61 percent as the percentage of those with a positive view fell 42 to 38 percent. And that was just one day later after the uh, the the protests and uh, what Trump did in front of the White House. 
As in the aforementioned TIPP poll, Trump's favorability is cratering. Here, only 38% view Trump favorably in Michigan, with 61% viewing him unfavorably. Now moving to Georgia. Georgia! Joe Biden is now leading Trump in a new PPP poll in Georgia by two points, 48 to 46. And that is just one of the reasons why every vote is going to be so important in Georgia this year. And the ability for every voter to not only be able to vote, but for every vote to actually be counted. We discussed on Monday's show the fact that the state's new electronic voting and tabulation system apparently missed missed counting a whole bunch of hand-marked paper ballot absentee votes across the state. The ballots were scanned, but the votes on them were not counted. The computer saw them as no vote. That was discovered by our guest on the Monday show, Jeannie, uh, Jean Dufort in Morgan County. It was confirmed since then in a whole bunch of other counties. But the state is now fighting the election integrity advocates who are trying to make sure that the state examines all of the ballots that were cast in the primary a week or so ago to determine how many votes were not counted on all of those other ballots. And the Democrats in the state are not doing much of a job in demanding that. So that's just one of the reasons I encourage you all the time to donate to coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. Gene Dufort and our frequent guest Marilyn Marks represent them and, and would love to bring a lawsuit in Michigan. I was speaking with uh, Marilyn. Uh, last night, uh, she told me that it's going to cost about 50000 to do so across the state. They don't have that kind of money right now. So if you can afford it, please consider a donation, coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. By the way, that same TPP poll that shows uh, uh, Biden up by two, two points in Georgia also shows U.S. Senate nominee John Ossoff defeating Republican incumbent Senator Sonny Perdue, well, by one single point. Still, Georgia will have two U.S. Senate races up for grabs this year because the other one is a special election, and Democrats could end up flipping both of those seats from red to blue, which would almost guarantee Mitch McConnell is gone, at least as majority leader, maybe as senator as well, if voters in Kentucky can pull off another miracle this year. So bad news for Donald Trump in Georgia as well. And then we get to Arizona, which Trump won by three and a half percent back in uh, 2016. uh, 2016. Now he trails the state. He trails by four percent in the new poll. So that is a seven and a half point swing in the wrong direction for Donald Trump, but in the right direction for America, I think. Independents go for Biden to the tune of 50 percent. But his real lead is fueled by the fact that Arizona in Arizona, he's getting 7 percent of the Republicans to vote for him as well. Finally, Iowa, Iowa. Well, the gold standard Seltzer and Company poll with the Des Moines Register reports that four years after Republican Donald Trump decisively won Iowa and the presidency, the state appears to now be a toss up. For his reelection, Trump carried Iowa by nine percentage points in 2016. But today, the Register's Iowa poll shows the president leading former vice president by just one point. So, yeah, that's a toss up. But it means that Trump has slipped at least nine points since 2016 in the Hawkeye state. So I guess costing farmers billions of dollars by starting trade wars with China 
and gutting the ag industry by ignoring the coronavirus, I guess that is not such a great strategy for farmers or to win Iowa after all. So uh, these are some uh, pretty amazing numbers, and I'm just scraping the surface here of them. It does not look good for Donald Trump, and ABC News got its hand on some internal Trump polling. Guess what? They show pretty much the same uh, terrible numbers for him that all of these other polls show. So keep that in mind as he claims that all of these polls are fake. He knows that he is lying. But none of this means that he's going to lose. Folks have foolishly counted Donald Trump out before, so this is no time to get complacent. Nonetheless, David Ferris of The Week argues today that this polling slump is one that Trump cannot come back from, at least not easily. We will uh, tempt those fates after a quick break here as we are joined by David on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the Bradcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. I get no Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the problem with Donald Trump. Well, it's not a problem for him, but no matter how often he falls, no matter how far he seems to stumble, uh, no matter how bad those polls are that we just discussed, uh, you know, that make him seem like he can't possibly come back. Well, he does always seem to come back. He does always seem to get up again, doesn't he? Somehow. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, he's not going to get up this time, David Ferris argues dangerously at the week today. This time is different for Trump. Ferris tempts the gods by writing. To say that President Trump's re-election is in jeopardy would be an understatement, he writes. His recent national and battleground state polling is calamitous. Multiple national polls in recent days show him down by double digits to presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden. Real clear politics has Biden's average polling lead nationally at just over eight points. For GOP strategists hoping, hoping the rickety Electoral College will rescue the president, the news, writes Ferris, is equally grim. The June survey of Florida by well-regarded pollster TIPP has Biden up 11 points with likely voters. The lone poll of Wisconsin that includes June data has Biden up by nine points there. This month's polls of Michigan have Biden up by an eye-popping average of 14 points. If the election were held today, he writes, it's not hard to imagine Biden winning by 10 points nationally, presumably, securing as many as 407 electoral votes and handing as many as eight more seats and a majority to Democrats in the U.S. Senate. So is this it, asks David? 
Has President Trump's luck finally run out, or will he, as so many liberals fear, manage to reanimate his campaign the same way he has resuscitated his fortunes over the past four years? Throughout the Trump presidency, critics have watched him stumble heedlessly into one self-made disaster after another, only to see his popularity recover to a level just high enough to imagine him eking out another narrow victory in 2020. Despite his enduring unpopularity and his inability to even sniff 50 percent in a rolling average since the day he took office, he has never lost his grip on his base. And so it would be easy to dismiss this most recent polling collapse as yet another temporary news cycle driven fluctuation likely to be no more enduring than the decline in his numbers after the Ukraine scandal broke in September 2019. Surely the polls will tighten up by Election Day, right? Well, while nothing is impossible in American politics, Ferris smartly notes before going on to argue that this time the answer is, quote, almost certainly no. Is David Ferris sure about that? I don't know. Let's ask him. David Ferris is a contributor at The Week. He's associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University in Chicago and author of the book It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics. He's also been writing of late at the great Juan Cole's Informed Comment blog. And he's got a new book coming out at the end of June titled The Kids are all left. David Ferris, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Brad, it's great to be back on the show. Now, How are you doing? I'm, I'm okay, you know, getting by like all of us, just counting the days, yeah. but we'll see. You know, you do realize what, what you've written here uh, because you're an, an accomplished political scientist. You've seen plenty of things in your day. So you know that one of the pieces, one of the things that you have written here is one of those pieces that a whole lot of folks are going to point to, including Donald Trump and his supporters, to scoff at you and call you fake news and part of the desperate Democratic deep state after the election if he ends up eking out another victory. You do know that, right? And and by yeah, the way, okay. and, yeah. and, and and should that happen, Democrats and progressives and my listeners, whoever they may be, will similarly hate me for even having had you on the air to talk about this at all. So no pressure or anything, Dave. No, no pressure. No, I, I feel fine. Okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's the cost of uh, going out on the limb a little bit. Yeah. You know, all right. Sometimes people are going to point the fingers at you if, uh, if you're not right. <laughs> All right. So your argument is uh, pretty well summarized, I think, frankly, in the headline of your piece of the week uh, today. This time is different for Trump. It is uh, going out on a line a little bit. It's a gutsy argument, I think. So allow me to allow, allow you to make it before I question it. What is different this time and why do you think it is different? Why is this moment in history one that he will not be able to come back from? by November 3rd, as he has in so many other instances when people like you thought he was through? Sure. Um, there's a few different reasons. So if you, if you look at the whole history of Trump's presidency and you look at, you know, if you're looking at his approval ratings mm -hmm. um, as one measure, there have really been sort of like three distinctive declines in his approval ratings. Mm -hmm. You know, one from, you know, the day he was inaugurated and then people looked at his presidency and they were like, oh my God, what a mess. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he went down and down and down, got worse and worse and worse especially when Republicans failed to repeal the Affordable Care Act, uh, mm -hmm. made them look you know, weak and pitiful. 
Um, and then he, he pulled out of that nosedive when Republicans passed their tax giveaway to, to, to rich people with seven homes uh, mm-hmm. in December of 2017. Right. So that was the first arrest of the first slide. Mm-hmm. His second nosedive was around the government shutdown. That was from 2018 into 2019. Yeah. And his numbers turned around very predictably when, when the shutdown ended. Yep. You know. And then the last one was um, when the the impeachment, uh, sorry, what the Ukraine was the Ukraine scandal, scandal right, um, right. You know his his numbers started to dive when they released the transcript that they thought was exculpatory, and everybody was like, kind of sounds like him doing the thing, you know, <laughs> did the thing um, that they said he did, yeah, he right, did the thing, right. I mean, his numbers only started to turn around about a month later when Republicans kind of finally settled on a strategy for how they were going to, you know, dismiss. Mm-hmm the scandal. Mm-hmm. And so in each of those cases, there was something discreet that either congressional Republicans or he could do to turn his numbers around by ending the brouhaha that was causing the decline in his public opinion numbers in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. None of that ever got him over 50%, right? Because he can't keep his mouth shut and he's like incapable of, of projecting unity and right. uh, and avoiding divisiveness on, on Twitter and in all of those other platforms, right? So mm-hmm. when, when I say recover, it his popularity. I mean, he got back to 44%, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, so what seems really different to me this time is that he, he, he can't flip a magic switch here and end the things that are causing his popularity to decline. There is no easy way out of the coronavirus crisis. You know, uh, I, I'm more than anyone else in the world, I wish that there was. Mm-hmm. I'm so tired of yeah. doing these interviews in my basement, <laughs> um, and I want my life back. Right. Uh, and I would trade four more years of Trump for it. I really would. But he, really? He no, he you wait, it, right? wait. You have to take that back. You would not trade four more <laughs> years of Trump to get out of the basement. So press on. Not, not to get out of the basement, but yeah. you could, if I could flip the switch and say, like, we get the old, you know, we get you, the world goes back to the way it was. Right. Uh, I got you. Yeah. I would do that. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> if I could just see my parents again. Right. Um, so he, there's nothing he can do. Right. Um, he, he can't. You know take a, a vaccine and, and give it to people out of out of thin air. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't make the virus go away. He's tried that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's tried to make it disappear. He's tried to, you know, force governors to open early to, to do things that I think were, were not necessarily wise or, or what the public health experts were trying to get us to do. I mean, he can't go back in, in time and, and sort of undo the things that he did in January, February, and March related mm-hmm. to the virus. Right? All that stuff is like pretty, pretty seared in people's memories at this yeah. point. Yeah, we have, um, we've been so, argu- we've been arguing for months now that he can't pretend his way out of the COVID crisis the way he does with so many of his other crises. Even though he's you know he's trying like hell, but uh, we had an epidemiologist uh, on on uh, yesterday's broadcast, Dr. Pranima Madivan, who noted that the virus is nonpartisan. It's killing people of all political stripes. It is not cowed apparently by. Trump's attempts to lie it away, to pretend it away. So, uh, yeah, this and it and it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. It's not. I mean, and it's 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 going to be the, the the major story. I think of the summer and the fall. I think it's going to be the major issue in the election, and it has brought with us this massive and terrible economic crisis. You know, and so what's really different about the COVID crisis and the economic crisis that's come along with it is that it has touched the lives of every single American in mm-hmm. the country really touch the lives of every single person in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but unlike, you know, the Ukraine scandal, unlike Russiagate, you know, unlike the, you know, 400 other scandals that have been big news on the front page of Politico, but which ordinary people probably don't don't actually care that much about, mm-hmm. you know, I'm thinking of, like, 
he fired an inspector general, right? Mm-hmm. Or he pushed this person out of his position. Or, mm-hmm. you know, this former official wrote a memoir saying that Trump is an idiot. You know, right. big shock, right? This is something that, that, that has changed people's lives. Yeah. Um, and, and, and for the worse, obviously. If you see the study yesterday that said Americans are unhappier than they've been in 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm only 42, but can confirm I am unhappier than I've ever been in my life. So <laughs> yeah. um, that, that tracks. Right, know? right. Well, and, um, and you... so the president's failure to take that, the crisis seriously is something that's going to follow him around like an albatross for the rest of the summer and into the fall. And I just don't see how he's going to—he's he's, going to sort of extricate himself from from a very public record uh, of calling this a, a hoax and not taking it seriously, and then taking it seriously for seven minutes and then going back and not taking it seriously. Now, uh, one of the bones I have to pick with you here, uh, David Ferris, is you—you uh, you talk about you go through a litany of things in which uh, you know Republicans and uh, Donald Trump supporters have been able to to you know pull pull them out of trouble, and you say that they can't hire. They can't get him to hire a press secretary who isn't dumber than Joey from Friends. And I presume you're talking about uh, Kylie McEnany there. And yeah. I, I, I just yeah. want to note for the record, I think that's a little bit unfair to Joey from Friends. So I want to get that in for the record. Now, David, polls can... He was lovable. I, mean, I'll give him that. I know, exactly. He was lovable, unlike... Kylie. Anyway, uh, polls can and they do change. You've detailed the shifts between polling and final results between sort of this date before the election and then what what happened on Election Day. You went back and looked at it going back to 2008. What did you find when you looked at those numbers? Well, um, you can go one one cycle further, Mm -hmm. um, all the way back to 2004. Ah. um, And the, the final numbers did not differ from this date in June. By more than by more than four points. Mm-hmm. So, in '08, uh, Obama was up by four points over McCain. He won by seven. Um, 2004, Bush was up by Kerry, uh, up over Kerry by 1.8. He won by 2.4. Uh, similar story in 2012. Um, and so, I think that we can be pretty confident that the final number will be, you know, within three, four. You know, if you want to say five points, because uh, this is such an unusual situation, mm-hmm. sure. Um, so it's possible that the poll, you know, the national polling could could change by four or five points by um, by November. There's mm-hmm. there's really no guarantee though that that, that change is going to be in Trump's direction. Um, in fact, it could be in in the other direction. Like this, things mm-hmm. could actually get worse for Trump than they are right now. Um, I don't think a lot of analysts are recognizing um, that the you know, the polling errors and polling changes are, are sort of equal opportunity. They can go in both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the race is. Um, has been blown up and wide enough at this point that a, a sort of standard 21st century um, poll tightening, or I, I wouldn't call it tightening, right, because mm-hmm. these polls were not tightening. Right. <laughs> these cycles, they were just they were just changing. The polls right. were just off from June. Uh, but even the sort of standard 21st century change from the June polling would not rescue Trump, even if the whole thing moved in his direction. So if we went from um, you know 8.5 points, which is the real clear politics average today. Mm-hmm. Um, to 4.5 points, um, Trump still loses the election. Yeah, that's... Um, and that's even true with the Electoral College, right, because there's not a 4.5-point disjuncture between 
um, the national polling in the, in the tipping point state. Yeah, um, I, I do get concerned when we focus on the national polls, since we do not run national elections. They're state-by-state elections. But uh, as I understand it, uh, in response to you know the Trump folks saying, oh, yeah, that's right, they said Hillary Clinton was going to win at this time uh, uh, before the 2016 election as well. We've seen a lot of polling experts say, yeah, that's true, but even if the results changed as much as they did, um, in Trump's direction between this date and the election, he still would not end up beating Joe Biden in that the Biden Biden's numbers, at least for the moment, are large enough that uh, even with a, a change like 2016, Biden would still come out ahead. Now, you say, David Ferris, there is one thing that could save Trump. And what is that? Um, I think it's a vaccine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and not a promise of the vaccine because no one actually believes anything that this guy says. Um, but it actually has to be, as I say, be a vaccine. You know, I need to be able to go, um, to, to CVS or Target and, and get the vaccine in my arm. And if that happens, you know, um, you know, I think that there would be such a, such a sort of like wave mm-hmm. of relief and joy, um, that that I think would almost certainly help him, you know, whether it's enough. To, to get him to win, I, I don't know. I'd have to see what the polling looks like on the day before people start getting the vaccine. Um, but that's, you know, the vaccine is really the only way that we go back to the kind of normality um, that people would actually enjoy. You know, like, um, uh, as much as I, I think it's wonderful to, you know, to stand six feet apart from people in my backyard <laughs> and drink a beer, right. uh, it's not it's not the same normal life. You know, it's not going to make me as happy as I was. Well, the um, pro- the uh, when it comes to the vaccine, you say that, you know, not a promise of a vaccine. It's got to be an actual vaccine, you know, sticking in people's arms. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, that's unlikely to happen, of course, uh, according to experts. Right. But what is uh, potentially uh, able to happen is a lot of these vaccines right now are going through uh, various trials. Some of those trials end uh, around mid-October. So I have seen this written. I think there was an op-ed in the New York Times about this, warning about this in October, that there could be that could be Donald Trump's October surprise when they announce the end of uh, trials in October. And whether they are really promising or not, they go ahead and announce that they are just like they, you know, he the way he forced the FDA to announce hydroxychloroquine was a, a savior for us all, that he could do that with a vaccine as well in October. Um, and I'm not quite so sure as you are, David, that uh, Americans won't fall for that again. I think they they felt we, we saw the, the stock market went up a thousand points a few weeks ago just based on a company announcing they had a successful first phase of the trial. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I honestly think that Trump is going to do something vaccine-related in October, whether there's actual good results or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think they might fall for it. Now, listen, I've only got a few more minutes here. I want to hit a couple of points on all of this. Uh, are, are you underestimating or misunderestimating, if you will, Joe Biden's ability to screw this up? And I guess larger picture, the, the Democrats' ability to, you know, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory between now and, and uh, November. You know, I mean, Joe, Joe Biden is not was not my first, second, third, fourth, or fifth choice. Um, but I do think um, that he has a certain appeal to a certain kind of voter mm-hmm. that is immune from the sort of the ups and downs of the gaps that he produces uh-huh. on a sort of semi-daily basis. Um, and so I think he's done things already that would have dominated like 10 news cycles in the past. So 
Hillary Clinton had done it. Um, I'm talking about, you know, the 15 to, what was it, 10 or 15 or 25 percent of American people are bad people. <laughs> right. Um, which is, you know, true, obviously, right? But, like, not something you want to say in public. Um, and uh, it just it just disappears in, um, into the rabbit hole. And, and one of the things that it does give me sort of more confidence um, than I had, than I would have had in 2016 is that Biden has, has turned around uh, so far, the party's fortunes with the oldest voters, that's over 65 voters, mm-hmm. um, that seems to be driving Biden opening up a, a pretty big lead in Florida. In fact, looks bigger than um, his lead in Pennsylvania or his lead in Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, and that would be a real game changer. Um, and the oldest voters, uh, are, these are not like fleeting, um, you know, people who just pay attention at the last minute, right? These are like hardened partisans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and when the hardened partisan changes their mind this close to an election, um, I, I just don't think they're coming back. So as much as I do, I mean, every time I turn on the TV and Joe Biden is on it, I kind of just like rip the edge of the couch. I'm like, please, please, please. Well, I know. Well, that's <laughs> so why I said, don't but, do the thing. <laughs> but I do like your, uh, your contention here, at least that his screw ups don't seem at least to stick to him the way, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton's did. Now you're also the guy who wrote a book called the time to fight dirty dealing, uh, you know, detailing how, uh, Democrats, you might learn a few lessons about politics from Republicans in some cases. So you know how ugly all of this can get. Are you underestimating uh, in your assessment the dirty tricks and the voter suppression and the ability to game the voting system that Republicans are bound to use or already using in many cases uh, in order to pull Trump's fat out of the fire this year? No, those are all really, really real threats. Um, And I think that they are as much threats to, to Democrats taking a Senate majority as they are to anything else, particularly in, in the, the two races in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if Biden was up by two points nationally, you know, um, then I would, you know, I'd be in a cold sweat every night about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you you know, there's no amount of, of voter suppression and, uh, and and dirty tricks short of, you know, actually rigging the election mm-hmm. um, that, yeah. that, can, that can rescue you from a 10-point national deficit. Um and he, I don't actually think that he's hit rock bottom yet. I don't think, you know, I'm sorry to say this, I don't think the economy has hit rock bottom yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of things. You know, John Bolton's book just came out, or, or you know, starting to leak out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of damaging information in there. Uh, we still got all those, um, you know, the apprentice stiff lurking out there. Mm-hmm. That could be our October surprise, right? So uh, October surprises work both ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we've seen the last of, of damaging information about Trump. The Supreme Court could rule um, that he has to release his, his tax returns and you know his Deutsche Bank records and all that stuff, right? Yeah, they're all they're um, all bad stuff uh, for him, uh, David. But uh, rigging the election is actually not all that difficult, and it's been you know I, I I'm not suggesting he or anyone else is going to, but I know it can be done. I worry about ransomware attacks, people unable to vote at all on election day. All hell will break loose. Those are some of the yeah, cons- yeah. I mean, concerns. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's going to be a fun day. Like, don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> okay, um, you know, the, the Georgia, you know, the Georgia primary last week, I think, was a real case in point. Yeah, uh, the kind of ugliness that we're likely to see on election day in twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, but I think that dem- there, there are Democratic governors and Democratic secretaries of state um, in enough critical swing states that you're not going to see that in Pennsylvania, and you're not going to see that in Wisconsin, and you're not going to see it in Michigan. Okay. Um, and you're not going to see it in North Carolina. So, um, you know, I think that there's there are things that they can do. Um, I think that they could 
they could add a point or two here on the margin mm-hmm. with those kinds of tactics and poll closures and uh, you know harassing voters and kicking them off the rolls and per- you know the whole you know yeah. we talked about this before right yeah um, and so I do I do worry about that and I would be particularly worried about that if it's a, a super close election um, like in you know if it's if the polls look like they did on election eve in two thousand. Um, you know, and I, I wouldn't be super optimistic. Well, I, I would um, suggest you start worrying about it now. And uh, I would also <laughs> suggest that Democrats who are hearing this conversation do not become complacent and think that this one is uh, wrapped up in the bag, uh, like many of them did, I think, at this point in 2016. I think it's anything but. I think David is on to something here. Uh, I, but I, I have, uh, you know, those few caveats. I think it may not be quite as in the bag yet, as uh, as you're suggesting. But let me uh, very quickly, on the way out here, I think it's apt that you um, conclude your piece at the week today, This Time is Different for Trump, um, by comparing this TV star president and his potential demise to a couple of TV shows. Uh, you conclude in your piece at the week, Americans like to see villains get their comeuppance. That's why the finale of The Sopranos remains widely reviled and the last episode of Breaking Bad satisfied fans. President Trump, the anti-hero to end all anti-heroes, doesn't get to write this script. The writer's room is America. We want closure and we're almost certainly going to get it. I don't know if you're right, David, uh, but I welcome the encouraging uh, thought here. And uh, guess who will be my very first guest after the November 3rd election if Trump ends up uh, winning, Mr. Ferris, (laughs) just to allow you to apologize to a broken hearted and furious nation. As long as you don't mind me crying on the air, then uh, you got to be happy to do that. Uh, join the club. <laughs> I do it every day. David Ferris, you'll find his work at theweek.com. You can follow him on the Twitters at David M. Ferris. His previous book is It's Time to Fight Dirty. His new book coming up, which I look forward to talking about in the future, is The Kids Are All Left. And I think that's it. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks for joining us uh, again today. Thanks for having me on the show, and I look forward to to coming back on. You bet. Thank you, brother. Bye-bye. Okay, we are running behind, as <laughs> usual. So yes. my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Our thanks to those of, uh, uh, those of you who help keep us on the airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you here next time tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>